on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and to help them. And, it, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, we pray for guidance and for strength as we've sung. Uh, we know the truth of who you are, of your love for us, simply because you have recorded it here. And so we pray that you would speak that love to us anew today. Uh, but more than that, Father, or even more than that, we pray that we would see ourselves in this story, we'd see ourselves in these simple fishermen, and that we would learn what it means to be your disciple, what it means to follow after you. Lord, be with us now. Be pleased to meet with us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Fish tales and the making of a disciple. Well, if you ask any fisherman here, Mr. Larry, if you ask my dad, if you ask Sam Roberts, they will all tell you that, that one of the most essential parts to being a good fisherman is being able to weave an almost unbelievable tale of your exploits in pursuit of the big one, right? Now, my grandfather, he was a master of this, Grand. He, he knew how to do it. Something would happen out on the water, and by the time we got home, he would have this tale in such a way that would just mesmerize you. He could tell my grandmother, and she would just hang on every word. He could go, and he could tell his friends at coffee, and it was the greatest story ever told. I, I remember one time, and I can take you to the exact spot. He, he hooked a fish, and it was a big fish. And before he could get it in, right at the boat, it came off. And that's the worst, right? You know you've got one on, and it's a good one, and you really want to see what it looks like. And right when it gets to the boat, it comes off. But, but Grand, he could take a bad situation, and he could make it good, because he said, Son, that was the biggest fish I have ever seen. And by the time we got home, it was even bigger than that. And three years down the road, it was even bigger than that. We would go to that spot, and he would say, You remember that time? I missed the biggest fish I've ever seen right here. I said, yes, Grant, I remember when you did that. He knew. He knew how to weave a tale, and I love to, to, to hear him tell it. Now, having said all of that, it will not surprise you then that, that when we come to this story, we come to one that, that is one of my favorites in all of Jesus' ministry because what we have here is maybe the greatest fish tale that has ever been told. After a long night of 
no fish, out on the water, just, just empty nets. These fishermen in their day with a catch so large that one boat cannot contain it all. They have to call in their friends, and they're trying to get back to the water, and both boats are sinking. Now, me and my father have sank, almost sank a lot of boats, and I've sank one in my life. But it was never because we had so many fish that the boat sank. We did have a boat one time that had a leak in it and the bilge pump didn't work. And so there would be so much water in the bottom, you could throw the fish down there and they would just swim around. Um, but it didn't sink. It didn't sink. So that was good. But these, these uh, people are so weighed down with fish that, that their boats are sinking. This, this is a fish tale of epic proportions. This is one that would make my grandfather proud. But here's the thing. This is a true story, right? Now look, I'm not suggesting to you that my grandfather would lie to you, but if the details got a little fuzzy on the way, then that was just part of weaving the tale, right? But we don't have to worry about that here. What we have before us is an accurate account of maybe the greatest fishing day that anybody has ever had. This is a fish tale, a true one, for the ages. Of course, a fish tale is not all that we have here, is it? In fact, I would suggest to you that the most miraculous thing that happens out on the boat that day is not the fact that they are neck deep in fish and they're about to sink because they, they have so many of them. Oh, the, the most miraculous thing that happens out on the boat that day happens in the life of Simon Peter. As he sees this great miracle that Jesus does and as he bows at his knees and as he proclaims the truth, Lord, I am a sinful man. And as Jesus comes to him and he says, yeah, I, that's true, but I'm going to give you a new life. I'm going to give you a new purpose. I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm going to give you a new hope. There, there, we see the greatest miracle that happened on that day. Jesus takes Simon, he takes John and James, and he makes them disciples. And that's what I want us to consider today. I want us to consider what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now that word, like the word repentance that we saw when we were studying John the Baptist's ministry, is one that we hear thrown out a lot in Christian circles, right? We, we have discipleship classes. We have to make sure that everybody's a good disciple of Christ. If you go to a Christian bookstore, you're going to find all of these books on discipleship. And look, that, that's not a bad thing. Uh, we, we have to recognize here certainly that Peter and these disciples, they have a unique place in God's redemptive history. But they're called to follow him. They're called as disciples. And all of us who are called to follow him are called to that as well. And so a focus on discipleship is, is important. It's good. The question is, is what is good discipleship? What is a disciple of Jesus like? How do we become one? What should our lives look like? That's the question that we want to ask. And those are the questions that I want, to, want you to keep in mind as we try to move through this passage together today, okay? Well, let's look at it. The first thing that I want you to see here is that true discipleship begins with God's Word. True discipleship begins with God's Word. Now, last week, uh, we saw, as, as Luke kind of laid out for us how Jesus fulfills that declaration from Isaiah 61, we saw the authority, the power of his Word, right? We saw it in his teaching. We saw it in his ability to, to uh, cast out demons, 
We saw it in his ability to, to heal those who are sick and lame, even a power that extends to death, right? He has a power, even just in his word, over death. And so he's there in the synagogues, and after each one of those scenes, what happens? Well, the people, they go out, and they spread the news. And so the crowds, they begin to grow. To the point that what we find here in 5.1 is that the crowds are pressing in on him. It's, it's an overwhelming situation. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things here about this crowd. And I'll admit to you that I may be making too much of this because I haven't found anything like this in any of the commentaries, but I don't think so. First, notice the, the, just the desire of the crowd. We know that that in lots of ways, people came to Jesus for a lot of different reasons. Some of them came just to see what he could do. Some came for the miraculous. Some came to be healed. Some came for the benefits that that he claimed to be able to give. But notice why these people show up that day. It says there in verse 1, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him, to hear the word of God. They came for the right reason. You know, The the reasons that that people so often came in the Old Testament are the reasons why people still come today. They come to to see what all of this Jesus stuff is about. They come for community. They come because it's just the right thing to do. The right reason to come is to hear God's words, to hear what he has to say to us. That's important. Because that is the starting place of any true, of any real discipleship. Simon is out on the boat, and he hears God's word. Those people on the shore, they hear God's word. And today, you are here, I hope, primarily to hear God's word. We sang our our, uh, call to worship this morning, right? Psalm 42. Like the deer pants for water, so our soul longs after you, O Lord. That is our heart's desire. Not merely to have all of his benefits, though those are there for us, but our desire is to have him, to have his word. And so these people, they they came for the right reason. But there's a second thing, and this is is where I may be going off, but but again, I don't think so. I want you to notice the, the graciousness of Jesus. Did you notice how gracious he is with these people? They're pressing in on him. And I can imagine it's a scene like, like the Beatles coming to America or, or Elvis. You know, this crowd's crushing him. And maybe it wasn't that, to that extent, but, but it was great crowds, right? And I'll be honest with you, if that was me, I'd be looking for the first train out of there, for the first boat to, to get over somewhere else. I don't like large crowds. I don't like being pressed in on. And we know that often Jesus would do that, right? He would kind of recede out to the countryside. He would go for some quiet time. But notice here, these people, they long to hear from Jesus. And what does he do? He gets in the boat, not to get away. He gets in the boat so that they can hear his word. He's glad to meet with them. He is glad to give them what it is that they're looking for, the very words of God. That's a wonderful reminder to us that when we truly seek Him, when we truly, when our hearts truly long for Him, it doesn't leave us in the dark. Friends, what a great reminder to us in general. 
You know, we, we have the Bible there before us, and to some degree or another, we think it's our right as, as churchgoers, as Christians, or maybe just as Southerners. And, and it is a joy to have it. But, but there is no, God had no obligation to give us this. He had no obligation to give us his word. He could have just as easily left us in the dark. And yet in his mercy, in his graciousness, as he did here, he didn't do that. He gave us this word. And so, like these people, when we long for him, we can find him. He speaks to us. He is gracious and kind to condescend, to come to us and say, this is the truth about who I am. And so, a true disciple, it begins with hearing God's word. Secondly, I want you to notice that true discipleship, it means living by faith. He's living by faith. And you see that there in verses 4 and 5. Now, after Jesus uses Simon's boat as a, as a pulpit, Christ makes what is an odd and probably an unwelcome request. He says, Peter, take your nets, go put them in the water, and let's go catch some fish. Now, I say that, that it's unwelcome for, for several reasons. First, notice in verse 2, what have these fishermen already done? They've cleaned their nets, they've taken them up, they've repaired them, they've gone through all the hard work of closing out a day. And so you can imagine that, that Peter has no desire to have to do that again. None of us want to make extra work for ourselves. But even more than that, none of us really want to make extra work for somebody else, right? And that's what this is going to require. For Peter to do this, he can't do it by himself. He needs his friends, he needs his partners to go out with him. And so when Jesus says, hey, let down the nets, it's not just a burden to, to Peter, it's a burden to the whole group. It's a burden to, to a lot of people. And so you can imagine Peter's reluctance to do that. But then the, the more obvious thing that we have here is not only is it going to be a burden, but it seems like a pointless endeavor, right? Now, now for all that we can say about Peter, what was he by trade? He was a fisherman, right? He wouldn't like me and my dad and so many of you. He didn't just do it for fun. This was how he made a living. And so you can be sure that he knew where the fish were. He knew how to catch them. And he knew when it was just a bad day. And some days on the water are just that way. And so after spending all night out there on the water, when Jesus comes to him and he says, hey, let down your nets, it's not surprising to find him say there in verse 5, Master, we toiled all night. We took nothing. Someone says, all of my expertise, this is his field of expertise, all of that seems to say this is not a good idea. This is not a good move. But notice what he says. He says, we've toiled all night. We have caught nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Friends, that, that is the Christian life in a nutshell. That is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It is taking everything that we see, everything that we hear, and submitting it to God's word and saying, Lord, I don't feel like doing this. I don't want to do this. Everything is telling me that I can't do this. But you have said, so I'm going to do it. 
even when it's unpopular, as surely Simon was here, even when it seems that all signs are pointing against it, have faith when we have a cancer diagnosis. That's a hard thing to do, right? When our loved one has passed away, when we go through those sleepless nights to believe that, yes, this is not the end, that we're going to see that person again, that they are safe with Jesus, it's a hard thing to do. But when we get to that moment, what do we say? At your word, O Lord, I will believe. I will trust. Again, even when it's our field of expertise, and it's, it's uh, interesting to me that so often Jesus comes to people there. Like for Simon, this was the place where he would have known the most in the world. He knew how to fish. If you think about Isaiah, he does the same thing to Isaiah, right, in Isaiah 6. When, when he sees that great scene, and I feel like I talk about this every week, but, but it's, it's too good not to. But you see, he sees the holiness of God, and what does he need? The cherubim comes and he gets the coal out of the, out of the fire. He presses it to his lips. He says, you've been redeemed, right? It's a sign of the redemption. It's, it's a sign of forgiveness. Now, what was, what was Isaiah's job? He was a prophet. What does a prophet do? A prophet speaks. And so surely this was his area of expertise. He knew how to speak to people in a way that was, uh, that was good, that, that was convincing as he stands before a holy God, as Simon stands before a holy God here, the reality is, is that even that place, that place where we feel most confident, it has to come under the, the, the guidance, under the word of that holy and righteous God. To be a disciple of Jesus means to live by faith. Even when everything tells you not to, even when everybody tells you not to, it is to live by faith in every word that he has said. Thirdly, a true disciple also recognizes his own inadequacy. He recognizes his own inadequacy. Now look, I have to admit to you that that Peter's response is not the response that I want him to have. It would make this story a whole lot easier to teach if Peter would respond with awe and wonder, but an awe of wonder of thanksgiving, uh, of praise, of, Lord, I want to follow you wherever you go. This is amazing. Let me go tell everybody about this. That's not how Peter responds. Look at what he says there in verse 8. He says, but when Peter, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. What Peter recognizes in Christ is again the same thing that Isaiah recognizes in Isaiah 6. It's what Ezekiel recognizes. It's what Moses recognizes. It's what John recognizes in Revelation. As they stand in the presence of God, a holy and righteous God, they see his power. They see his knowledge. Most of all, they see his holiness and they understand that they have no right to be there. That they have no right to stand before him. You remember Isaiah is undone when he sees God. John falls down before him like a dead man. To stand before this God, to stand before his Christ to stand before an all-consuming fire. And Peter understands it well. 
He sees it in Jesus. He sees it in this great miracle that he's done, that he has control even over the fish of the sea. So he says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. He, he, is, he comes face to face, not only with God's holiness, but with his own inadequacy. Now look, admittedly, this is, this is not the, the greatest part of being a disciple, right? This is not the greatest part of discipleship. And it's often the part of discipleship that, that's neglected. But it is a necessary part of discipleship. You know, to some degree or another, I think we would all confess to be sinners. We, we all know enough to know that we have to say that we're sinners. But in practice, think about your life. Think about how you live every day what do we do? We act as if we can save ourselves. We act as if we can pull it all together, as if we can do it good enough. Our default setting is works righteousness. Our default setting is self-sufficiency. That's important. Because we do it every day. This, this is what we revert back to all the time. But here we see that standing in the presence of a holy and righteous God, standing in the presence of Jesus, it all do, it undoes all of that, right? It undoes all of our supposed righteousness. It undoes all of our supposed goodness. It shows us that they are all just filthy rags before him. And so in light of this Christ. We can say along with Peter, we should say along with Peter, Lord, depart from me, for I am sinful. But, but, it's always good to have that but, right? Notice what Jesus says to Simon there. He says, and Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. The same words that he spoke to John in Revelation same words that he spoke throughout the Old Testament when people would come into his presence. Do not be afraid. Those are words of grace. Those are words of mercy because Jesus has every right to say to Simon and to every one of us, you know what? You are unworthy. And so I'm going to just push you out or I'm going to step back and I'm just going to leave you to whatever you want to do. He has the right to do that. But in his kindness... In his love for us, instead he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I've come to save you. Yes, I am holy. Yes, I am righteous. Yes, you are unworthy. But I will save you. I will give you this new identity. I will give you this new purpose. Come, bring all of those things to me. And find a peace and a forgiveness that lasts a peace and a love that is deeper and wider than anything you can imagine. Find that not only will I love you, I will also use you. I will use you to build this great kingdom, this kingdom that he has been building since the very beginning of redemptive history. And that leads us to our fourth and final point. True discipleship is a willingness to give up everything to follow Christ. We gotta put some we gotta put some oil on that thing. <laughs> Deacons, write that down. <laughs> write that down. Alright, let's get back on this focus again here. Sorry, sorry. True discipleship means a willingness to give up everything to follow Christ. And you see that there 
in verse 11. Uh, well, starting in verse 10, it says, Do not be afraid, Jesus says to Simon, from now on you will be catching men. And then in verse 11, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Simon and his companions, they don't cling to their responsibilities, to their jobs, to their friends. They don't cling to their things, their boats. They don't even cling to this greatest catch that any of them have ever seen. They give it all up to follow this Christ, to follow this Jesus. Now look, we need to understand that this was a decision that ultimately is going to lead them into poverty. That's ultimately going to lead them into hardships. That's ultimately going to lead them to terrible deaths, every single one of them. They're going to suffer terrible things because they are followers of Christ. The reality is, is there is a cost to discipleship that every one of us need to number. Every one of us needs to understand that to follow Jesus, this whole kind of wealth and health kind of gospel that we see, it's a lie. It's just a lie. Because Jesus makes it clear that to follow him is going to come with a cost, at least here on earth. We're going to have to give up things that we want. He may call us to go to China. He may call us to give up our jobs. He may call us to stand up to our friends, to our family. Look, those are hard things to do. We don't need to make any bones about that. That, That's painful. It hurts to have to do those things. Jesus, this this is not an easy believism that he's giving us. This is not cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer calls it. This is real. This is real commitment, and it is a commitment that demands no less than every area of our lives. What Jesus is calling us to is not a portion, not just a little bit. He is calling us to bring all that we are under the light of who he is and what he has done. And if that means that some of those things have got to go, then that means some of those things have got to go. But if we are to be disciples of Christ, that means that we should be willing, that we have to be willing to give up everything to follow him. Now, in his grace, in his kindness, rarely does he call us to give up everything to follow him, right? We, we are blessed to live where we do, to have the freedoms that we have. Rarely does he call us to, to have to give up our families or to give up our lives. My question to you today is if he calls you to that, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to give up everything for this Savior? Friends, the truth is, is, is Christianity, it's, it's not for sissies. It's not for the faint of heart. But it is for those who will hear his word. It is for those who will live by faith. It is for those who will acknowledge their own inadequacies and rush to him with it all and confess it all before him. And it is for those who are willing to give up everything, who are willing to rest simply in what he has said, to rest simply in who he is. And so as we close, let me ask you, are you a disciple of Jesus today? Are you ready to follow him, to trust in him wherever he may lead? If so, let me invite you. Come, come to this Jesus. You know, the, the, the great thing about him is, yes, he is holy. Yes, he is righteous. Yes, he will one day come and he will judge every sin.
But in his great mercy, he calls you. In your sin, in your weakness, he says, come to me. And so that's an invitation. It's an invitation that is open to you. And when you come, you will find a new purpose. You will find a new joy. You will find a new identity. And you will find hope. Hope that will see you through whatever may come in this life. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider these things, I pray that you would help us to ask some hard questions. Are we yours? Do we truly belong to you? Do we understand the cost of what it means to follow our Lord? Have we counted those costs? And are we willing to give up everything to come to you? Lord, that's what you demand of us. And that may seem like a lot for us. But the truth is, is when we come in that way, when we come empty-handed, simply clinging to your cross, clinging to who you are, Lord, you bless us beyond measure. You give us more than we could ever imagine, more than we could ever get gain on our own, more than this world could ever give us. And so, Lord, help us to see the truth of who Jesus is, this holy, great King of kings and Lord of lords who has control over the fish of the sea, who has control over the birds, the stars in the sky, and who has control over us. May we bow in his presence as Simon has, confessing our sins, but finding your great grace and your great mercy to us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.